We are looking at the book of Proverbs today, and Proverbs is a tough one to do a survey on because it's a very unique book, uh, very different from a lot of the books in the Bible. Uh, I would say that it's probably um, the, uh, the, the most... Um, I don't know if I say the most unique book in the Bible. Uh, it doesn't, in the sense of, it doesn't really follow a storyline. It doesn't follow just um, uh, any type of, of, of prophecy or poetry or law or like rituals or any of that. Um, no history. It's, it's just these nuggets of wisdom. And the way it's laid out, the more I've tried to like back up and do a survey of this, uh, the more I realized it was harder than I thought it was going to be. I thought, oh, well, there should be a pattern through it. I mean, we can do a survey, but this is going to be a little different. So uh, bear with me as I'm trying my best here. I read a book one time about the way the human brain uh, processes things. And it was a book on, um, uh, it, they gave this really cool illustration that it was like your brain is like one side of Velcro. And so if you know about Velcro, Velcro has one piece that has a bunch of little hooks, a bunch of little uh, loops on it, and then one piece that has a bunch of little hooks on it, right? And so the, the, you put the hooks onto, that's how Velcro works. Like it's not, I thought it was going to be something more difficult than that. That's what Velcro is. It's a bunch of loops on one side, a bunch of hooks on the other, you stick them together, and then it, then it holds, right? Because the hooks, some hooks have gone into some loops. The more hooks there are, and the more loops there are, the more opportunity for sticking, right? So if you only had, you know, 50 loops on one and, and, and 20 hooks, it's just as good as the amount of hooks, right? Or it's just as good as the amount of loops. So it was talking about how making your ideas or your words, uh, basically putting hooks on them so that they will stay in somebody's mind. Now, this was a book on preaching and a book on how, how people will, will remember your sermons. That was kind of the whole point of the book that I read. Um, and this was several years ago. Uh, and so, but it was talking about how uh, everybody has a bunch of, all of our brains have a bunch of loops in them. And so all those loops are just waiting for something to stick to it. And so how you craft your words, how you craft your sermon. That's why a lot of times people will use rhyming phrases or alliteration. All it is is trying to put hooks on your words so that they will stick onto your brain. Like that's the purpose of it. So uh, today, based on that, that book that I read, I have titled uh, the book of Proverbs, Hooks of Wisdom. Hooks of wisdom, because if you read the book of Proverbs, um, it's like it's like these these great little hooks that if you if they could just attach to your brain. And there's a lot of hooks in here. There's a lot. Now the hard part is whenever um, we we say a lot of time. I hear a lot of people sometimes tell me uh, my so my podcast that I that I that I do personally um, is I spend a lot of time in Proverbs on it. I've got 400 episodes. And of those 400 episodes, half of them are probably Proverbs, okay? And I mean, it's just because every day I'll read a proverb of the day, right? Today is uh, the, the ninth, so Proverbs chapter 9 is the, is the chapter that I would read. And so uh, what I would do is I would try to just read through these Proverbs. So many people have told me, you know, I've read the Proverbs, and I just, I just don't get out of them what you get out of them. And I'm like, okay, why? And the truth is, like, they just read through it, and they don't stop and pause, like you don't, so, you know, if a piece of Velcro doesn't stick the first time, you, you, you know, if it's, if it's, if it's crooked, right, then what do you do? You peel it off and you try to stick it again, right? That's how you, that's what you're trying to do. Why? Because you want more hooks to connect with more loops. 
Now, you don't, you don't realize that's what you're trying to do, but you're trying to say, oh, I need it straightened up so it'll stick better, right? So you'll, you'll take it and you'll maneuver it and you'll, you'll slowly try to place it on there and you'll slowly try to connect it to where it's, it's level and it's equal and it's parallel or whatever. Well, that's what you've got to do with the Proverbs. You can't just read it and then move right on. Like, it's a hard, it's a hard book to kind of, you got to let it saturate a little bit. you got to make sure that it's sticking just right. And so sometimes, uh, whenever we, we read the Proverbs, uh, we, we attribute it to, um, oh, well, these are just, you know, little one-liners. So I'm going to read this one-liner and, and walk away, and, and I'll remember it forever. Not quite the way it works. This, I will say this, um, as I did this sort of survey for today, um, I've, I've noticed some things. In the, there is a little bit of a pattern that I have found that I, that I think is, is legitimate uh, through all my study and prayer time of it. Um, but I, I want to kind of start out with a little bit of information about the book. So uh, Solomon is the one that, that comprised and wrote the, the Proverbs. Um, and Solomon is attributed for writing three books in, the, in, our, in our Bibles that we have. Uh, those three books are the Song of Solomon, uh, the Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. Now, if you look at these three books in a survey form like we are going to do as we continue, I'm really excited about the Song of Solomon with you guys. Can't wait. That'll be a fun one. Um, But as we look at these three books over the next few weeks, um, what you'll see is you'll kind of get a hint that Solomon was probably pretty young when he wrote Song of Solomon, young and in love, right? He was probably middle-aged when he wrote the Proverbs, whenever his wisdom was, was at the peak of having to be exercised, right? Right now, I wish, I, I wish I was as wise as Mr. Willie Morris or Mr. Lee Clowers or I- anybody in this room. I wish I was as wise as you. However, I'm not there yet, right? I've got a lot more experience to have to have under my belt to, get, to gain that wisdom. But right now, I'm in the peak of my wisdom that I have having to be exercised, because I'm leading a staff, I'm leading a church, I'm leading people, I'm influencing a lot of people right now. I'm at the peak of my influential life at this moment. Now, I'm as young as I'll ever be right now, and I'm as old as I've ever been. Okay, process that one for a second. And so I know that I've got to be able to leverage that in my life. Solomon was probably middle-aged when he wrote the Proverbs. Because, why? Because he's having to use them all the time. He's having to use this wisdom, and so he's seeing what works and what doesn't, right? So whenever I give uh, wisdom to someone, when I give advice to someone, I'm having to realize, is this really the best thing for you in this moment, in this situation, or was this good for the last guy I told and it doesn't really work for you, right, in the context? So Solomon probably was middle-aged when he wrote the Proverbs. Now, I don't think he would just sat down as a 40-year-old and wrote them all, okay? I don't, I don't think that's what happened. I think this is a lifelong journey. Um, but then we read, if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes has a very different tone to it. It's more of Solomon whenever he was older, looking back on his life, seeing the carnality of his life and what it, what it kind of brought him. And he's a little depressed when he's writing it because he's like, all these things that I thought that were important and valuable and all this money I wanted and all these treasures, all these, all these wonderful riches, uh, all these pleasures of the world, were, uh, they're vain, meaningless. Like that was, because he's looking back on his life, right? So in, in understanding the way that, and the Holy Spirit inspired all these words. I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit is, is different in any of these places. He inspired them all. He's just giving us through the life of this man Solomon, who was incredibly wise. The book of First King tells us he was the wisest in all the land. So of, of his generation, this was the wisest man on earth. And so as this man who was super wise, 
Um, it says also in 1 Kings chapter 4, it tells us he wrote 3,000 proverbs and 1,005 a, a songs. That's what it says in 1 Kings chapter 4. And so we know that he is a, uh, a guy who writes, a guy who is... Um, uh, and, and that typically, if it's somebody who writes, it's somebody who is reflective. I want to tell you what I found yesterday in my office. I was, um, uh, I've got some new bookshelves that were built. Uh, one of our great church members built me some bookshelves. And they go all the way up to the ceiling. It's really cool. It's very overwhelming. Uh, and then they, uh, so I was putting my books in, in my bookshelves. And when I was doing that, I found a couple books of my dad's library. And so I'm looking through things. And I gave him a book um, back the Christmas of 2020. And so um, uh, the last Christmas that he had, I gave him this book that was called One Line a Day. And it was an empty book, okay, but it was lines, and it had like every, you, could, you basically had space to write one line for a day. And it was a book that was supposed to last five years. So each page had five years of one line of that day. What it means is, so today is August the 9th, so there's August the 9th, and then there was five spots in five different years, okay? So, so this year, I just write one line. And then the next day, I turn the page and I write one line. The next day, I turn the page. Then by the next year, you can see what happened the year before on that day in one line. Now, it was, it was pretty cool to see. So my dad was using that the year of 2021. And so it was these one line things. And it's so much fun to look back and see these things because it was, it was kind of wild. So now I've started. So I took the book and I've started writing it. And I'm going to continue it to see what changed. And so yesterday, for instance, my, both my daughters are finally in school now. Finally, the, all the enrollment stuff worked out. So yesterday, my one line was, Briley finally got enrolled at school. Britain had an open house. Great day, exclamation point. Learned of new friends. That was the line that I wrote. Um, well, so I look back at some of the lines that, that my dad wrote, and honestly, they, it's, it's, a cool, it's a cool concept. I've always loved this concept because it's forced me to be reflective, right? I have a tendency, my natural tendency is just to run forward and forget about everything in the past. Like, that's my tendency. But what's happened is the older I get, and, and even uh, he, he taught me a lot early on in life, I needed to take a moment, look back at the day, look back at the week, look back at the month, look back at the year, see what God did so that I could make a spiritual marker of it. Because here's the deal, God's always working. He's always doing something. And so if, if we don't ever stop and see it, then we're never going to be able to celebrate it. We're going to miss out on half of the, what the life is, of God has given us. So, uh, so what we know about Solomon is if he wrote all these proverbs, he wrote a bunch of songs, he was a reflective guy. He was a guy that was willing to sit down for just a moment in a quiet space and say, what have I seen today? I want to take a, a survey of today. I want to take a, a, a little inventory of my life today. What did I learn? And he writes it down. There is something very beneficial for somebody who writes things down. That's been one of the coolest things after my dad went on to heaven that I've been able to see. is like he wrote a lot of stuff down. So I get to see all these different journal entries. I get to see all these different... He wrote letters to his grandkids that he was planning on giving them when they graduate. And so, like, as they started school, when Briley starts kindergarten, you know, back, however many, goodness gracious, 10 years ago, uh, 11 years ago, uh, he, he started writing a letter to her. Like, every couple months, he'd write a letter to her. Then Britain, then, then he, and he got younger and younger. And so, well, I got these stack of letters I'm going to give my daughters whenever they graduate high school. Like, how crazy is this? From, from back, you know, 20 years ago, uh, whenever he was writing these letters. And so, uh, and, and, I'll be honest, I've read some, okay? I wasn't supposed to, but I did. I was like, what does this say in here? And it was like him just saying, you know, here's what I saw God do today. 
he talked about church members in some of these that, that are, are, are gone now. And it was like, you will never know this person, but they prayed for you today because they heard you were sick. And they, and it's a you know, she was a baby. She was, but her, who knows, that prayer could have been the one that brought you the healing that you needed. Always, always be thankful for those that are willing to pray for you. Like, I'm like, good grief. Like, there is some insane wisdom in that, right? There is some insane, and it took, because he took a moment and he sat back. Solomon was that same kind of guy. He was willing to take a moment, step back, and, and look at that. So the couple things that I do want to, to make sure and clarify, the book of Proverbs was not full. It didn't fully originate with him, nor did he edit them all. Now, this is a part where I looked at a bunch of commentaries. I read a bunch of background, read a bunch of things. Um, now, uh, the book of, of Proverbs is accredited to him, uh, but there's a few instances where it talks about the wise men that wrote this or the men of Hezekiah or a guy named Agur or the guy named King Lemuel and his mother um, all share in the production of this book. Now, a lot of Jewish literature say that King Solomon went by four or five different names. There were four or five different names that he had. For instance, uh, f- so for me, I, my name is Mark Anthony Caldwell Jr. If you were to go to any bank, they don't know me as Anthony, right? They know me as Mark. That's who they know me as. If you were to go to the school, they know me as so-and-so. And the school, and you know, some people just call me the pastor of New Providence, right? Like that, they, they don't know my name. And it's like, okay, so has some different names, some different titles. Uh, some of those believe that, that Solomon was called these titles. I don't know that 100%. Okay, now I, I'm of that same philosophy. I believe that Solomon had different names by different people, and they, they showed up here, and, and there were some Jewish documents that support that. But, um, but anyway, so I just want to make sure that, you know, I'm not saying that Solomon wrote every single one of these. I think that there were some edits made by some men of Hezekiah, especially in 25. You can read that, you know, it says the, the uh, men of Hezekiah compiled these, and so they gathered the ones... Hezekiah's uh, compilation of them, we'll get to in just a minute, uh, were all very illustrative. I just think that's kind of cool. It's a little different, little different spin. Um, but anyway, so that's kind of some in- info about uh, the Proverbs. Now, one of the things we did when we first started our, uh, our survey through the Bible, if you remember way, way back when we were looking at Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, early on, what we did was we, we took a couple of books and we said, okay, so if if Genesis was this, then Exodus was about this, right? We did a little contrasting. Uh, for instance, I wrote down a couple of them just to remind us. Uh, Genesis was about covenants, right? And Exodus about commandments, right? Remember when we did that kind of fun thing? Uh, Exodus was about the way out. Leviticus was about the way in to worship, right? And then we talked about Leviticus was about worship, and Numbers was about the walk and how we, how we walked with the Lord. So I want to do the same thing with Psalms and Proverbs, so Psalms, there's a, there's a few differences that help us kind of see and understand a little bit more what the Proverbs are. Psalms is about worship, and Proverbs is about the walk. That's Proverbs about how to, how to walk every day. Uh, Psalms was about our devotional lives, how we're devoted to the Lord and how that devotional life looks. Uh, Proverbs is about our daily life, how we're supposed to live every single day. Uh, Psalms was a hymn book. So Proverbs is a handbook, right? You got some policies in there, some procedures, the way we do things. Um, Psalms is about what we believe. You know, we believe God is above the heavens and he is over all and through all and in all. And he's, he's got all these powerful, he's, his love endures forever. We believe it's what we believe. Proverbs is how we behave in life. So, we, so the two go together because all of the Bible goes together. 
That's why it's put together for us. It all will, will build upon itself. Uh, Proverbs is not necessarily, a, a, again, it's not the history book. It's not a, a, a storyline. Um, it, it's, it's so unique. Uh, we see a lot of things in the Proverbs. We see a book with topics, and they are countless topics, but I, I wrote down a few. Um, uh, wisdom, sin, wealth, pride, justice, friendship, poverty, family, pleasure, revenge, success, gluttony, and I could go on and on and on. There's a lot in Proverbs. I mean, a lot. And the more I did a survey of this, I thought, I, I, this doesn't, I can't, I, can't, I don't even know what to do. So here we go. Um, here's how we're going to look at this book today. We're going to look at it as there's an introduction to it. In chapter 1, the first few verses, there's an introduction. And then we see, uh, and these are not alliterated. I did not put many hooks on this for your brains, so good luck. Um, there's an introduction. Um, there's a section I'm going to call the framework. Uh, that's uh, chapters 2 through chapter 9. Then I'm calling another section fireworks, because that sounds like a fun one. That sounds like I put a bunch of hooks on that one. You're going to be like, oh, there's some fireworks in the Proverbs. Yes, there is. Um, then there's a, a section that I'm going to call the King's Words. And then a section I will call Vivid Imagery. And then the last two sections are the ideal life and the ideal wife. And so um, you don't have to know those. That's just the way that I'm trying to, to make sense of it in my head uh, to kind of look at this in some sense of a survey form. Um, so the intro uh, gives us a clear understanding of how the following pages will help us. If you read the first seven uh, verses in the book of Proverbs, I just want to read these first seven verses to you, and, and you can see and, and hear uh, really what it is this book is about. Uh, it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, the king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fool despise, fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the first seven verses really give us an introduction. You know what's coming. This is all about wisdom, instruction, how you should walk, how you should live. And, and did you hear in the first part, he says, uh, uh, this is um, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discern, uh, discretion to the youth. I believe personally, these first nine chapters should be taught to the next generation religiously. I think that if you can get the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs into young people, you can change the world. I believe that. Because the first nine chapters deal primarily, it gives us a framework, as I say. So the framework is a lot of um, moral issues. You talk about some moral issues in the first nine chapters. As I looked over them, read over them, and tried to figure out, okay, Lord, what are you trying to do here? Um, it, you know, the, the first chapter there tells us, here's where we're going. This is, you should, you should instruct the youth, and, but it's not just for youth, it's also for the aged men, because it says, the, the, let the wise hear and increase in their learning. You can continue to read the Proverbs and continue to increase in your learning. I've read the Proverbs, I can't tell you how many times. I mean, because I've been doing this for years, read a chapter a day, right? Whatever chapter that corresponds with the date of the month. And as I do that, I, get, I, I gain something every time I read them. Like every time. I'm thinking, I'm 40 years old. 
I've done this 30 years and I'm, I'm still learning something? How dumb am I? I'm, I'm very is the answer. But the more I read, the more I understand, the more I learn. And so I hope and pray now that I have more wisdom today than I did a year ago. I hope I have more wisdom today than I had 10 years ago. And, and that's part of this like little one line a day journal thing. I'm hoping that in five years from now, I can look back and say, man, look how much smarter I got. <laughs> look, how, but look how much my perspective changed because I was no longer just looking at the perspective from here, but I began to look at the perspective from higher. I began to look at the perspective from the way the Lord is doing things. So these first nine chapters give us deal with moral issues. And so uh, there's a few things about these first nine chapters I wanna, I wanna talk about that are hopefully maybe new information for you, because it was new information for me. I had to learn a lot about um, the Hebrew terms that Solomon was writing about. So first off, um, in these, there's two principles, um, there's two principal Hebrew words uh, for the immoral woman talked about in the first nine chapters. If you read the first nine chapters of Proverbs, he talks a lot about immoral, the immoral woman, the immoral woman. Now, he, Solomon had, uh, we know some of Solomon's issues. He loved the women, right? Loved the women. So he had a few issues there. Uh, but he talks about in Proverbs, these first nine chapters, there's two different words for Hebrew, in Hebrew for immoral woman. The first one means a Hebrew woman who converts to a religion that uses immorality as a part of worship. So it means that a Hebrew woman has turned away from God and gone to a, a, a worldly religion that uses an immoral act in their worship service. Okay, so doing something um, uh, uh, filthy in worship to a, to a false god. So we know that a lot about false pagan gods that would do things that would, you know, uh, get, get real drunk before you could come into worship or do something uh, in, in sexual nature in order to have this worship experience. So the first word for this immoral woman is a Hebrew woman who has turned away from worship of God and gone to a false god that uses immorality in their worship. The second word is, is not about specifically a Hebrew woman, but a foreign woman who uses that in their worship. So who does immoral acts in their worship to a spiritual, for a spiritual reason. Okay, so you may hear terms, if you ever um, are connected in any type of social uh, medias or, or even just medias in general, you may hear terms that people will throw around that are very worldly terms, very worldly people using, oh, this was such a spiritual experience. It's like, no, that's, not, that's, not, that's, that's an immoral woman, right? So they, they may go and do something uh, immoral, and they call it a spiritual experience. That's what Solomon is talking about. It's, it's any type of woman that is not only doing immoral things, but she's doing those immoral things and, and thinks it's the spiritual thing, it thinks it's what she's made to do, which is very seductive to men. So here's what I've realized as, as we kind of broke this down. He mentions five different um, uh, women that are, are illustrated and contrasted in the, in the first nine chapters of, of, Song of, Sol of, of Proverbs. And so in this, uh, what, what God's trying to tell us through, I believe, through these illustrative women is that there is uh, sin is bad, immorality is bad, but it's even, it's, it's even more grotesque to him 
when we use it and we think it's a spiritual okay, when we think it's okay spiritually to do. So, and here's, here's where he, how he sums it up for us. Uh, the first woman he talks about is a stranger. Um, the stranger, she sits at the top of a house. Beautiful. Top of a house looks like you've reached a pinnacle. However, if you read about that stranger at the top of the house, you also realize at the bottom is a grave. <laughs> I love how the, the, the Proverbs will contrast for us, right? We're going to read some verses here in just a few minutes uh, specifically. But when it talks about um, this woman at, top, at the top of the house, she's a stranger, you don't know her. Um, but the bottom of, at the bottom of her house, below her house, is a grave. Then it talks about the smooth talker, lips like honey. It says lips like a honeycomb, so smooth. Man, she's able to just tell you something. You're like, oh, that sounds so good. But if you keep reading, um, her lips may be as sweet as honey, but her feet lead to hell. That's what it says. It's like, oh, goodness. Do you want somebody to sweet talk you all the way down to hell? No, I don't. My goodness. Talks about um, the seducing woman. Talks about a woman that is, um, and, and she is like a prowling beast, it says. Very powerful, powerful prowling beast. Like you, you like this, this woman of stature and power. And, and Solomon, by the way, is using uh, the picture of, woman, of, of a woman to talk about the immoral things that draw us, right? There is immoral greed that will tell us to get to the top of the mountain. If you try to scale that mountain of greed, you're going to end up in a grave. That's what he's saying, right? If you use this smooth talking, uh, this, this thing that tells you, listen, if you just get some more influence in life, if you just strive for this influence, it's like, oh, that's actually pretty smooth. I, I think I can gain more influence. You're going to end up in hell because if you're chasing influence, you're not, you're not chasing the Lord. You're not going after him. Each of these women aren't just, it's not just a female that he's talking about, right? This is just the way that Solomon reacts because Solomon's like, that's all he's thinking about is the females, right? That's all he's, it's what he's, it's his, his trip up in life uh, pretty bad. He marries a foreign woman thinking it's going to help his, his uh, national relationships and it's just because he wanted to marry the pretty foreign woman. Like, that's what Solomon wanted. But, so then, then there's a seducing woman, powerful like a beast. And, but it says that she feasts on the human soul. Like, okay, so this powerful thing that's almost overwhelming to you, that's this drawing force, is going to eat you alive. That's what he's saying. This is going to feast on what, what your vitality in life is. Uh, it talks about, the fourth woman it talks about is a streetwalker. Okay, so it talks about a prostitute. And it says that it, she, is, it, she, invites in, she invites everybody, right? She's sitting on the side. She's catcalling everybody, inviting them in. Everybody likes, to be, everybody likes to be wanted. All of us like to be invited. We all do. Now, we, we also like the opportunity to say no, right? We, but we love to be invited. I want to be invited to the party, but I don't want to go to all the parties, right? I want to be invited to your house. I just don't want to go to all the houses. I want to, be, I, I want to, go, I want to know that you want me to hang out with you. I want to know that you invite me in. This is the power of that woman. Uh, she will invite attractively, but then it says, whose clients are like the ox going to the slaughterhouse. <laughs> Think of that picture that Solomon is so vividly painting. He's like, that woman that, that you say is inviting you in, you're like, oh, I love being woman, wanted. She's pretty. She's beautiful. He's like, it's like an ox going to a slaughterhouse, which if you've ever seen or understand this picture of an ox going to a slaughterhouse, they actually have to walk up a ramp into the slaughterhouse because they would build it up where the, the 
not to get too gory, but like the blood and stuff would come down, so they would, it wouldn't be on the floor. It would go down through, the, through the, the boards, and so an ox would have to be led up, and so it was a little narrow, little narrow path to get up to where it was going into the slaughterhouse. So it would literally be like, pull it, you'd have to pull it, so you'd put, a, you'd, you'd put a rope around its neck, and you would draw it in, and it would have to be real careful and walk in, and then it just goes in, it doesn't come out the other side. Like, that's what Solomon is saying. This, this, this invite that you've been wanting your whole life is just a string around your neck pulling you and your head is down and you're trying to count your steps and you don't realize there's not another ox coming out the other side. Like you don't even realize it. That's how, that's how this, this seductive streetwalker is. Then it talks about this simpleton, this woman that is um, not the, the most um, uh, wise or the, most, or the, the greatest in, in um, kind of kind of, um, I don't want to use the term idiot, but kind of a, uh, um, there's not really anything this one's promising. This one's just out there just in case all the others missed you, right? And this is a simpleton, and she just basically says, hey, come enjoy. There's no, there's no uh, uh, litmus test for this one. There is, it doesn't matter who you are, where you are, what you look like, what, what nothing matters. She's just saying, hey, come on, let's go have some fun. Let's go enjoy life a little bit. And it says that her guests are in the depths of hell. Like they've already lost their way so far ago. They're just, she just, she's that last string net to bring you in. Now, again, each of these women represent the temptations of foolishness. So Proverbs gives us a lot about wisdom and a lot about foolishness. It is, it is, it is the contrast of the wise and the fool. Uh, because Solomon sees the world as there's, you're either wise or you're foolish. There's no in-between. Now, you can make a wise decision, but still be a fool. You can make a foolish decision and still be a wise person, but you can't do it in that moment. If I'm making a foolish decision, I'm not wise in that moment, right? So Solomon's giving us these contrasts. And so this first nine chapters, this framework section, is a lot about these five women, specifically in his mind, that, that all draw you into foolish decisions and foolish, uh, um, uh, foolish thoughts. And so each of them have a different, a little bit different um, uh, flavor to them. But again, as he's talking to them, there's, there's some that are just strange and different. They're living at the top of the house, and you're like, living at the top of the hill, and you're like, man, I don't know that woman, but I'd like to get to know her, right? I don't know what it'd be like to be in that position of CEO, but I'd like to get to know that. So what are you going to do? You're going to trample on everybody to get there. And what's going to happen? It's going to put you in a grave. You, you hear this smooth-talking woman. That's, that's that somebody that comes and sells you. I don't like to be sold on anything. I don't like for anybody to come and tell me what I want. I want to be able to tell. But there are some people that are really smooth talkers. You've been around them. We've all been around them. And you're just like, man, I just want to be around this person. Why? I don't know. They make me feel good. Okay. Red flag number one. They make me feel good. Well, what, are they leading you into a good path or a bad path? You don't know, right? And so the smooth talker, lips like honey. Man, man. But you don't know where they're even walking to because you're so drawn in by their, by their words, by their voice. You know, it's, it's kind of like you, in each of these moments, what I realize about each of these, uh, each of these, these temptations into foolishness is, is the person that falls for them is typically not looking ahead. So if you think about it, the, the stranger on top of the house, he's, he's, not, he's just looking up. Man, this would be so great. This, if I could just get there, and then you don't realize that the grave is right below you, right? Then there's the smooth talker. 
but you're not watching where you're going because their feet are leading you away. You, you look at the, the streetwalker and you're just seeing the attractive um, uh, uh, woman who is, but then it says it's like the ox. What's the ox doing? The ox just being pulled. He's not seeing where he's going. He's not looking up. He's not looking around. He's not looking out. He's looking down and he's being drug in. You see this simpleton um, and it says whoever walks by, but the guests are in the depths of hell. Like you're, you've already missed it. And you're not, you're not watching where you're going. So I said, you're not watching where you're going. Solomon's like, just watch where you're going. If I could, if I could break down the pro- first nine chapters of Proverbs, it says, watch where you're going. Just watch where you're walking. Watch where you're walking. Don't just stop looking so at, at this person. Stop listening to this person so much that you're just being led wherever. Stop, stop hoping to get to this point in your life way up high that you don't, that you don't see that you're, fall, you're tripping into a grave on your way there. Like, stop being so just drawn so much. So that's the first nine chapters of Proverbs. Now, if you look at the next uh, couple of chapters, chapters 10 through 19, uh, what you'll see is uh, what I call the fireworks section. I want to read some verses out of the fireworks section because this is a lot of fun. Um, I've I've called this the fireworks section because if I were to, um, to say these things on a national TV, let's say I was to say what, what Solomon says is wisdom, if I was to say this on national TV, here's, here's what I would say. Uh, chapter 13, verse 24. That's one of the verses I would say. Uh, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. If I was to say, you should spank your kids on national TV, I'm probably getting canceled. Pro- somebody's going to hate me for it. They're going to say, well, how dare you say that? How dare you say you, But this, if I say... If you, if you don't give the rod of discipline to your kid, I was spanked as a kid. Anybody else in here spanked as a kid? Man, I'm telling you, it was, it was, uh, it was terrible. It was terrible. Now, here's the good thing. I wasn't spanked much because if you understand that when you do this wrong thing, you get whipped for it, you stop doing the wrong thing, right? It's why? Because the rod has corrected you. It's like this, this a great pastor I heard one time said, said, here's as easy as parenting is. You make the right thing easy, you make the wrong thing hard. We, so in my life, here's what, here's what I say to my kids. We've been saying this since they were, they were infants, when they could just learn what. I say, you do the right thing, good things happen. You do the wrong thing, bad things happen. That's what, that's what I learned from the, this section of Proverbs. Like, you do the right thing, good things will happen to you. In this home, you do the right thing, good things will happen. If you do the wrong thing, bad things. You're going to get stuff taken away. You're going to get, you're going to get whooped. I spanked my kids. I did. And I, I don't spank them anymore. Why? Because they learned a lot of correction in those days. If I was to say this right now, there'd be fireworks going off. If I were to get on TV and say, hey, listen, you need to discipline your child in a way that you, and I'm not talking about beating your kids. You know, that was what, that was what my, my grandmother did that to me. She was mean. Like she was my dad's mom. Man, she, she was a, she's a grandmother who spanked me. Like I, I was a grandkid. I'm not supposed to be spanked by a grandparent. She was old school, man. She was old school. She's like, you can go do that in my house. Whip. And I'm like, Grandma, what? I was like, cry. Like, this is hurt. this hurt worse than anything. She was, she was hardcore. But she knew that I was doing the wrong thing. She wanted to correct that. So she did. And guess what? I didn't mess around at her house anymore. I was, I was a very good grandkid. Like, that's how it worked. I look at more of Solomon's writings in chapter 19, verse 18. I want to read this one to you. This one's a good one. Um, chapter 19, verse 18. Uh, the Bible says this, Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. 
Do not set your heart on putting him to death. What does that mean? If you don't discipline your son, you're setting your heart on letting him just walk into that grave. You know, if you, and, and here's the thing. There's a lot of parenting in, this, in, in these sections. Uh, chapter 22, verse number 15. Chapter 22, verse 15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Did you hear that? There's, folly, there's already folly in your child's heart. The rod of discipline will drive it out of him. Like if you if you want to get folly out of your child's heart, you you I won't say you beat it out of him, but you 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 correct him enough and help him understand. And I say him because like I remember all this. Like this was you know, and my dad would spank me, and he enjoyed it. Like he enjoyed it. He he always he's always said, "Oh, it's harder on me than it is on you." And then I look at a smile on his face. Why? Because he's doing the right thing. That was why. He would, he, would, he would smile and spank. I can't imagine getting spanked by somebody that's smiling. He's like, I am so happy I'm beating this folly out of you like, because it's better for you. Like, that's what it was. And, you know, and here I am spanking my daughters as, as little ones, and I'm like, this is so hard to do. This is so hard to do. And my dad, I called him one day. I said, how did you spank me so much? He's like, he's like son, you should enjoy this. I'm like, what? You psycho? And he's like, no, the reason you should enjoy it is because you're doing the right thing. When you do the right thing, you should enjoy it. I was like, this is a weird way to look at this, but okay, let's have some fun with it, right? <laughs> like, okay, if we're going to do it, let's do it right. Um, if you look, and then, and then you go over into chapter 23, uh, verses 13 and 14. I'm going to read this. These made sure, I want to make sure I read this. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. <laughs> if you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. If I was to say that on national TV... There would be so much hate speech coming at me. I'd get can't, it'd be awful. Why? Because this is a fireworks kind of statement. This is a big deal statement. But I will tell you this. This, this book is right. It's right. There's no flaw in it. I don't care what some psychologist comes out and says today. I don't care if some psychologist comes out and says, listen, if you, if you were to spank your child, you're going to lead them right to hell. Actually, that's the opposite of what the Bible says. Like, that's the opposite. So I'm going to do what this says, because this has been right, and I'm not going to go against this. This is right. This is right. Parent, it talks about parenting in this section of the fireworks. It also talks about prosperity, how you should acquire it, how you should, what you should do with it. Uh, listen to chapter 10. Uh, go back to chapter 10, verse number 2. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. You know what Solomon is saying? Don't acquire money inappropriately. Don't do it through wickedness. People talk about making all kinds of money. If you're doing something illegal to make money, it's wicked. And it says, treasured, gained by wickedness, don't profit. It's not going to profit you. I don't care if you're bringing in $100 million a year, if you're doing it illegally, if you're doing it inappropriately, if you're doing it through wickedness, you will not gain from it. You won't. You'll eventually lose. And it says that righteousness delivers from death. You can be righteous. And, and listen, I, I've read through the Proverbs, and it doesn't say money is bad. What it says is it's, you better be careful how you acquire it. You better be careful what you do with it. You better be careful. Now, once you do, if, you, if you're able to acquire uh, wealth in this world, Solomon was wealthy. If you're, if you're able to acquire wealth in an appropriate way and use it appropriately, the Lord can bless it. He can do things. In, and listen, it's not that, uh, you know, we look at so many people's lives and we say, well, this person is just super rich. And it's like, okay, what is, how did they get their money? And, why, and what are they doing with it? 
and it's none of your business how you're, it's not your it's not your deal to mess with like it's on them if the lord has blessed them I, I look at a lot of people that have bigger houses than me i look at a lot of people that have more things than me i have look at and you know what i can get in the trap of doing well they probably did that illegally <laughs> you know what i'm saying like well they they're just living heaven on earth i'll be my man my mansion is gonna be twice their size in heaven <laughs> that's what's gonna happen i'll show them you know uh, he will tell us in the proverbs what you should do it listen to chapter 11 verse number four if you look in Proverbs eleven four, it says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. You know what he's saying? You, you think you're going to gain something so that when you, when you get, you're, you're going to lose it all. You can't take it with you. That's what he's saying. It's not going to profit anything in your death. When you, in the day of wrath, what you, what you gain on this earth is not going to be what keeps you from wrath. People here may respect you, but the Lord's not saying, oh, wow, you made a ton of money. Good job. The Lord's going to say, all that money you made, man, it's worth nothing up here. <laughs> I made it all. I owned all the, all the gold in all the mines on earth. You think you were rich? Let me tell you about the cattle on a thousand hillsides. Let me tell you about all that I own. Like, it's not going to profit anybody. If you read chapter 13, verse number 22, another good word of wisdom. It says, uh, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. But the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. You know, this is a, uh, my, my dad always used to tell me, he said, son, I'm not leaving you an inheritance because Proverbs 13, 22 says, that's your grandparents' job. I was like, oh, thanks, dad. I appreciate that. And uh, he, listen, he, he turned out true to that. Okay, he turned out very true to that. He's a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. I said, what about, what about your grandchildren, Dad? And he said, the rapture will happen before them. So that was his, his, his way out of that, too. Um, but in, uh, if you look over in chapter 15, verse number 6, so it's, it's, not, it's not bad to gain influence and wealth. It's just you've got to be able to know how to use it. Be wise with it is what Solomon is saying. Chapter 15, verse number 6 says, In the house of the righteous there is much treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. Now, I, I believe, you know, some people say, well, this is really more hyperbole. This is really more just, just illustrative language that when it says treasure, he really just means like joy is a treasure and this is a treasure. The problem is I looked up the Hebrew word for that and it's, it's like actual finances, like it's what it is. Because Solomon is very clear in a lot of his teaching that it's not, and, and now, again, you look at treasure. So what does finances mean, right? So, well, it sort of depends. If you're in America... And if you're in, in Haiti, finances are very different, right? A dollar there lasts you all day. A dollar here can't get you to anything. I mean, like you, can't get a, you can't get a Coke anymore at a, at a gas station for a dollar. Like, what is, what, so what is, what is that? What it is is contentment in treasures. It's what it is. It's my needs are taken care of. That's what Solomon is talking about. Are your needs taken care of? Why do you want so much more? Because there's a lot in here in this fireworks section about not wanting more than you need. Like there's a lot about the con understanding contentment in your finances, in your wealth, in your treasures, knowing that you can be content. Listen, I can be content with, with very, very little. Why? Because I've had very little. I've lived on food stamps. I have. I'll be totally honest with you. I've lived on food stamps uh, when I was in the ministry. Now, I've been content with little. I've been content with much. A couple of years I was out of ministry, I was making a lot of money. And it was, it was, I was content with it. And here's what I was doing. I was trying to find a way to give it away. Why? Because I didn't want to start, start treasuring it up here because I realized, listen, if I treasure it up here, God can take my life in a moment. 
He can take my life. In the blink of an eye, I can be gone. Then what did, all that, what did I do? I, just, I built bigger barns. For what? For somebody else to have to clean out. That's what I did. And so I thought, how do I give it away? How do I, how do I become content with just what do I need? Now let's look at how to bless other people. Let's look at how to invest it in other places. Solomon was teaching all about that. So we see in this fireworks section, this, uh, a lot of parenting and a lot of prosperity, a lot of uh, dealing with money and, and treasures and, and wealth um, and, and how, to, how, to, how to live a life through those, those things that came in. And then we see the next section that I want to talk about uh, is, in the, is called the, it's what I call the king's words. Um, chapter 19 specifically at verse 6, um, because 19.1 even says, Better a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. Um, so if you, if you go down in Proverbs 19 a little bit uh, to verse number 6, he talks about um, really where it begins a, a, a section, uh, it goes all the way to chapter 24, um, where he was, you know, Solomon was a king, he was a leader, he was smart in government, he was smart in, in building a, an administration, he knew about politics, he knew, to, he knew about uh, diplomacy. He knew about all those things. You know, Solomon is not just like a guy you're sitting around the table with. Solomon is a king, wealthy. I mean, the wealthiest guy ever, like all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, the, the, if, if we, by the way, if, if, you know, not to jump back a little bit, but in, in chapter 11, Proverbs 11, verse number 10, I, I want to share this with you because uh, this is, Solomon is a king and Solomon is, is, is good. If, if America would live by Proverbs 11.10. Let me just read this verse to you. If we would just get behind this, this is all we got to get behind. Proverbs 11.10. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. But the, by the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. Verse 11. And but um, by the mouth of the wicked, it's overthrown. Man, if we would just say, we, we want to we have the righteous involved with the dealings of of our of our nation like he's talking about na- national like he's talking about the nation when it goes well with the righteous the city rejoices like if why are we, we here's the thing in our country right now if the righteous are doing anything they're not they're not getting rejoiced there's not rejoicing happening in the city there's frustration happening in the city we're doing the opposite of this we're doing that we're where now the wicked are gaining all this power and influence and we're rejoicing with the wicked like you don't have to go very far. You don't have to turn. You don't have to turn your phone on before a couple of seconds. You can find some rejoicing of wickedness, and I'm telling you, it's opposite. Like this is the king of a very powerful, very influential nation that is saying, if if the city will rejoice when the righteous are the ones that are influencing and the righteous are winning, when the righteous are winning, the city is happier. It's better. I promise. But instead, we say no. All these wicked need to need to be rejoiced and exalted and lifted up. And I'm telling you, we, we've got some problems in our, in our nations, um, and not just ours, a lot of them. Uh, anyway, that was a freebie. In chapter 14, what we'll see, verse number 34, this is a, this is a good one, um, chapter 14, verse 34, uh, this says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Man. This is, this is like the opposite of where we live right now. Chapter 20, verse number 18. I'll read this one to you. This is a, this is a good one as well. If we, like, wh- why, would, why would the world not see? If we, I think, here's, here's something I would, I would think. This is, I don't know where this is at, but if, if America, the wealthiest nation on earth, if we would see, if we would just say, 
Somebody just needs to tell our people, listen, Solomon was way richer than you are. The, the nation of Israel, the time of Solomon was way richer. Don't you want to be rich like Solomon? Let's follow his principles. <laughs> Unfortunately, we've redefined what righteousness is. We've, redefined, we've taken our, our day and we've, we've turned the words so that we, don't underst- we can't understand this. And it's like, well, of course the world can't understand this. The world's blinded to it, right? In, in chapter 20, verse number 18, uh, the, the scripture says, Plans are established by counsel, but wise guidance wages war. There are times for war. And he gives us some really good insight on whenever it's time for war. Verse number 26 there of that same chapter, it says, A king, a wise king, winnows the wicked and drives the wheel over them. He says, listen, he's, he's taking care of, if there is wickedness arising, the king will get rid of it. That's what he's saying. If, if it's war that takes it, a king will eventually say, enough is enough, and there's no more wickedness that's going to run rampant in my nation. Like, it's just not going to happen anymore. I want somebody that is going to stand up and be the man of God and say, it is time to shut down all of this wickedness that is tearing apart our families within our nation. This king says there's a time when, when it's time to wage some war. I heard a really great uh, quote one time that says, it's time to wage war against the flesh that's within us. Like it's time to wage war against the flesh that's, that's taking over our nation. Like it's, it's miserable. I, I do not like raising my daughters in this, in this climate of, of wickedness. I don't. They're, they're, people are telling my daughters they're not pretty enough. They're not, they're not flirty enough. They're not aggressive enough. They're not, and listen, I'm, the whole time I'm looking and saying, listen, girls, you, you got more than enough. The king of glory has brought you into his family. Live like you're the daughter of the king. The daughter of the king's not out here running around being, being scandalous. That's not what the daughter of the king does. The daughter of the king walks in. She's a princess. And she's going to walk in and the world's going to look at her and say, oh, this girl's got it together. This girl is this girl's the role model we want to see. Solomon says, listen, whenever the wickedness begins to come in, there is a point where the king says, enough is enough. Chapter 21, verse number 1, and here's what Solomon does as he turns it. Listen to what it says, chapter 21, verse 21. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. He does a really great, great job, Solomon does, making sure that you understand this king is not just going in rage of himself. His heart is like a stream in the hands of the Lord. And the Lord's just turning it wherever he wants to turn it. And so he's saying, you can be angry about this wickedness over here taking your daughter's hearts. You can be angry about this over here that are, that are polluting the mind of your sons. You can be frustrated over here. And he's taking, the, you can see this, this hand of God and this stream of water flowing in his hand. And God's saying, I'm going to direct you right over here, king. It's time to wage war against this, this enemy in the house. It's time to wage war against this enemy. As a dad, and Solomon, all throughout his book, uh, talks about uh, as a father to a son. And, you know, uh, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, was known to be a foolish son, a foolish man. Uh, Solomon, a lot of times in here, you can almost hear a little bit of disparity in his voice when he's talking about a, a son being a fool. Um, and you can hear him trying his best to force wisdom into his family. Like, just, I mean, he just gets so frustrated. Um, but in, in this... There's a heart of a father, the heart of the king, the heart of this wise leader. And there, there is a time when, um, when a king wages war. Even in the end of that uh, Proverbs 21, verse number 31, the very last verse says, A horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. It's not me waging, it's not me winning the battle, it's the Lord. It's his victory. 
So here's what the king is saying. In, in my house, let me tell you just a personal thing about me. So in my house, um, a couple of years ago, my daughters were dealing with anxiety. And um, as a dad, it's frustrating. I was very frustrated. I, I, I've not dealt, I had not dealt with anxiety very much. Um, I had not dealt with any kind of panic or any of that kind of thing. I was just, just I don't know, maybe the rod beat it out of me. Um, but as I was, um, in, in our culture right now, there's a lot of anxiety. A lot, a lot, a lot of anxiety. I believe it's one of the biggest enemies that we're fighting. And so there was a, there was a, a couple of years ago, um, I, I was praying one night. And I, it was almost, and I was reading through the Proverbs and, and hearing, and I felt like I was hearing God's voice very clearly. And the Lord said, it's time to wage war on the anxiety in your house. And I thought, what does this mean? And he says, it's time for you to stand up and be the man and get the anxiety out of your house. I was like, okay, Lord, what do I do? And I heard nothing. So what did I do? I went to a bookstore and I bought like four psychology books. Now, I was, because I think as long as I can learn how many loops are in their brain and how many hooks I got to put on it, right? Like I, I can figure this out. Read all these psychology books, got nowhere with it. Lord told me again, I said, wage war on anxiety in your house. And I was like, okay, Lord, how do I combat that? He said, fight it. You fight the anxiety. I was like, okay, what, what do I do? What do I do? And I began to read through Proverbs, and I began to read through and understand and see more and more of God. When you, you cannot, you cannot, it is impossible to have faith and fear in the exact same moment. It's impossible. The two parts of your brain, from the psychology books I read, God designed it this way. The two parts of your brain that, that develop fear and anxiety, uh, or fear and, and faith, are the same part. They can't, do this, they can't do two different things at the same time. Now, there, here's the problem. Our brains are moving at, at 300 billion times per second, and so all these, all these firings that are going off in your head are one fear, one faith, one fear, one faith, one fear, one faith. So all you got to do is have more fear, more, more faith, and then fear can't live there. So in those moments, what would I do? I'd speak a truth of God into it. And so I would speak a truth of God into it. And here's what I learned. It didn't take probably two weeks. And I kept speaking the, the truth of who God is in my daughter's lives. And all of the anxiety going, going to school went away. Like almost all of it. Like nuts in two weeks. I, I thought about, I'm going to write a book, How to Cure Anxiety. And then I was like, that feels a little bit bigger than what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, but Ultimately, it, it, it's not any bigger. It's, it's, you, I just started fighting the anxiety. I didn't fight my daughter in, in her anxiety moment. I faced the anxiety itself. How do I fix it? Well, the fear is there, and so I got to replace it with some faith. So how do I do that? Well, sometimes it would be me talking about something God did in my life. Sometimes it would be me telling about in Psalm 78, as it says, to tell the next generation the works of the Lord so that they don't forget it. So I would begin to tell them about the things that happened in my life 30 years ago. The things that happened in my life 20 years ago. Things that happened in my life five years ago, five minutes ago, when God would reveal himself to me in a way. And so what was I doing? I was waging war on the anxiety in my home. There are times to wage war. And here's what I love about the way Solomon talked about it. It's like, it's like God just directing me. He's saying, listen, here's where I want you to wage some war today. Here's where I want you to do. And, and understand that whenever you create, whenever you have a victory, I couldn't point to the psychology books for the victory couldn't do it. You know why? The victory didn't belong to the psychologist. The victory belonged to the Lord. It was his truth that was put in, his li that was put in my daughter's lives that, that changed things. We would do these morning devotions together, and we, during this very, very intense time, we would sit down. I would, I would take one daughter to school, 
And then the other one that was really dealing with anxiety real bad, I would sit down with her at a table. I'd open the Bible and I'd say, I want you to read this. And she'd be like, I don't feel like reading it. I'm like, I don't feel like listening to it this morning. I'm tired too. Read it. We're going to read it together. She would read it. And I'd say, now tell me what it means. Well, it means that God's bigger than this and this and this. That's right. Today, every time you have a moment, I want you to think, well, God's bigger than this and this and this. She's like, well, what if I'm dealing with something that's not one of those three things? I'm like, it's okay. You just know God's bigger than these three things. That's all you know today. That's all you need to know. Go for it. And she'd come back home and be like, how was it? How many times do you have to think about it? Well, I thought about it a lot in the morning, but by the afternoon, I didn't have to think about it as much. Why? Because <laughs> God was directing the heart of the leader of the household to wage war on that. There, there's time to wage war. Now listen, it's, it's, he's talking in this scripture about a lot of, th- these are principles, right? These are principles. These are not promises of God. These are principles of God. These are not all, and again, it's not a history book. I can't tell you it, Solomon wrote this before he went and killed a bunch of people. I can't tell you that. Like, I can't tell you when, when it happened. Where I can just tell you this is a principle that works. I, I, I promise. I've lived these things out, and the more I read them, the more I live them out, and the more I live them out, the more I realize they work. Like, they just do. It's in here. It's good. Now, it doesn't always pan out exactly like I think it's going to, but I know that through this text, this is how it works. I've got to move on. I've got to move quick. Uh, so then we see a, a section of vivid imagery. Listen to chapter 25. I'm not going to read them all to you, but uh, in chapter 25, the verse, verse 1, it says, These are the Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. So when it says they copied them, they're the ones that kind of compiled them, put them together. The, Solomon, again, wrote 3,000 Proverbs, it says in 1 Kings. He wrote 1,005 songs, as it says in 1 Kings. And so they, they began to compile these together. So they put these together that are real vivid imagery. I love the vivid imagery um, in, in the Scripture. Listen to chapter 25, verse 11. It says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. That's so nice. What he did was he said, a word fit spoken in the right moment. There there is nothing like the right word at the right moment. A lot of times I have the right words. Most of the time I don't have the right moment, (laughs) right? Like in that moment, there's a time where, you know, if you really need, hey, God is love. Sometimes I'll say, God's holy and just and he's wrathful right? That's like we talked about Job a couple weeks ago, right? Job's friends, even though some of those words were correct, way wrong moment. Didn't fit at the right time. There's a a fitly word. He's saying, listen, a fitly word is like this golden apple that is surrounded in this setting of silver. Uh, This is a piece of jewelry. And Solomon loved jewelry, he talked about jewelry. He, he talked about this, these fine, the riches of this piece of jewelry. Just a beautiful, um, beautiful uh, metaphor that helps us to kind of see some things. Uh, verse number 13, go down just a couple verses later. Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger who's, uh, who send him. He refreshes the soul of his masters. Uh, this, is, this is, the time of harvest was always heat. It's always hot. How refreshing and nice would a cold snow have been? And how weird would it have been, too, right? Like, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't, didn't fit. But what Solomon's saying is, in this, whenever we send a messenger, and he can refresh this, a faithful messenger to those who send him. Like, one that is faithful, that you can count on. Listen, what he's saying is, if you've got a messenger working for you, and he is faithful, and you can trust him, that's, that's as refreshing as on a really hot day, just a cold snow falling. And how good would that feel? Like, that's what Solomon's saying. He's like, this is so, I love the vivid imagery. 
of all this. It's so, so neat. I encourage you, the Proverbs that you see from 25, 26, 27, 28, you'll see a lot about some, some vivid imagery that's put together. Uh, good word. I, I'm, a, I'm a lover of words. I love words. And so it's fun to kind of experience this and see them. You can read these, these Proverbs and just see, man, what is that? What, is, what was the time of harvest? Harvest. What did that mean? What does it look like for this? And he's like, well, here's what it looks like. Man, it's refreshing. It'd be so nice. It's like that faithful messenger of the, of the servant, um, of the king. So here's, here's what he says now. The last two parts uh, of, this, of this text run together, and uh, then we'll be, we'll be done for today. I've been going a long time. It's okay. The Lord will, Lord will make wise all of us. Um, in the last two chapters, we see chapter 30. I call that the ideal life. And then chapter 31, I call the ideal wife. Um, chapter 30 is technically listed as a prophecy. Um, so if, you, if you're looking up a lot of, um, a, a lot of concordances or a lot of uh, uh, commentaries, a lot of theological study on chapter 30, you'll see it as a bit of a prophecy. Um, in it, what you'll see, the first part, is just kind of how ignorant man is and how we are very ununderstanding. Um, and then you'll see inspiration of the Scripture through that next part of chapter 30. And then you'll see issues of life in the last part of chapter 30. Chapter 30 is a really great place. If you, if you are ever looking at, you just want to see a little bit of a bigger picture inside the book of Proverbs, chapter 30 is a good place to do that. Because um, it talks about, I mean, verse number two even says, uh, surely I too am, a stupid, am stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of man. I have not learned wisdom, uh, nor have I the, the knowledge of the Holy One. Who's ascended to heaven and come down? This is where it gets kind of prophetic. talks about some scripture. Who's gathered the wind in his fist? He's asking some questions that are scriptural questions. Because he says, every word of God in verse 5 proves true. Every word of God proves true. Every one of his words prove true. You're not gonna, you, he's not false. He's not going to lie. Every word of God proves true. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. He's like, listen, scripture is inspired by God himself. So this book is good. And it's true. It's, it's going to prove to be 100% true. And you may say, well, I see some contradictions in it. Well, whenever you get some more understanding, you'll realize you were wrong. It is not. The Word of God is not wrong. It's going to prove true. I love chapter 30. And it, it kind of breaks down and even gives you some issues that will happen in life and helps you kind of sort through some of that. Really great place uh, in Scripture to find some of that, um, uh, that encouragement for the ideal life, the life that God wants for you and the life that you can live through. And you're going to have some issues. You're going you're to deal with some things in life. They're going to be tough. That's okay. Then chapter 31, as he wraps up the book, uh, he talks about the ideal wife. Uh, in the end, you know, I think it's awesome. So here's where, here's where I think that this may come all together and make sense for us as a survey. I'm going to do my best to, to, to put a bow on it. In the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs, he lists five women that are leading to destruction. In the very last chapter, he talks about the ideal wife, the woman that he wants. And this woman that he wants is the ideal person, She's the ideal partner. She's the ideal parent for his kids. She has all this together. And I think that Solomon, through the imagery, this is where you, gotta, you get some, some um, uh, uh, literary license, I guess, some, some free creativity to be able to say, these, these women in the beginning, um, and we all know actual women like this. It's not just a, a thought of some, you know, oh, well, this sin entices me this way. There, there's also women like this. And Solomon knew those women. 
Like he, he knew them. He knew who they were. He was, he probably had them in mind. I'm surprised he didn't name them in those Proverbs. You know, it's like, it's like nothing like Miss so-and-so. You know, she is, he's sitting up on that rooftop. You don't know her. You don't know the crazy in her. She's, she's, she'll lead you right down to hell. Like he could, that's what he's thinking in his head. And then he wraps up with this ideal wife, this ideal woman of his, um, and, and he talks about how valuable she is, more, worth more than rubies. Uh, I love chapter 31 um, and, and how it, it, it gives us this picture of, um, you know, the Proverbs 31 woman. We hear that a lot. Uh, we don't usually hear the Proverbs 7 woman, you know, the seductress that's smooth like honeycomb. We don't usually hear that. We're not, you know, I don't, and I don't necessarily think we should. I don't think we should meet somebody and be like, oh, you, you seem more like a Proverbs 6 woman than you do a Proverbs 31 woman because you are really talking smooth, but you're going to leave me in a place I don't need to go, right? There's no oxen coming out the other side of your slaughterhouse. Like that's, that's a bad place to end up. Um, so we, we look at Proverbs 31 and we all, again, women, I want my daughters to model Proverbs 31. I want them to model what this woman of his looks like because uh, Solomon, I think he also, I think there's a part of this, um, this is where we, we could tell our society today, if, if you just read the first 30 chapters of Proverbs, you're like, well, he doesn't like women at all. Like he's got a problem with women. And then you read 31, you're like, he needs this woman, like bad. Like he, he loves this woman that he's looking for and he's searching for. And so I, I think that through this study of Proverbs, if you read Proverbs, again, you can read, this is the place in Scripture where it's, it's the, the context is a little different. Because a proverb, you can read a, a proverb and you can take something with it because it's a principle, right? And so a lot of times in, in Scripture, I will tell you, read way before and way after. Know what the whole big picture is. Proverbs, I hope that today you maybe saw a little bit of a big picture of it, but ultimately you can look at this and take this word and this nugget of wisdom. It's got a bunch of hooks sticking on your brain and live with it. Learn it. Walk with it. Learn how to take each step. If it talks about finances, then deal with your finances more wisely. If it talks about relationships, deal with your relationships more wisely. If it talks about temptation, deal with temptations more wisely. Take each of these steps and, and be able to add them practically to your life. Now, here's the, the beauty of this, of this book. If you read all the way through Proverbs, I try my best. Here's, here's what I will do. I'll read through Proverbs and I'll think, man, I was really dumb the other day. And if I'd have just known this verse, I wouldn't have been so dumb, right? I w- I'd been able to know this better. I, I have always had trouble reading. I've always had trouble reading and, and comprehending what I read. And I, I pray, I've prayed for years, my parents prayed for me, that I would be able to comprehend what I read better. Because I had a problem. Like as a kid, I was, I was failing, failing all these comprehension tests. I was, they were putting me in classes with, with different people because I, I just couldn't get it. And so I've been praying my whole life that I'd be able to comprehend more. And I, as, I, as I do that, here's what I, I've learned about the Proverbs. I'm going to tell you something. A lot of people will say to me now, man, you just seem to retain everything. It is, it is a Holy Spirit thing. It is not me. I promise. I am dumb. I, I got grades to prove it for you. If you want to go back to my elementary school, when a teacher wrote, I don't know that he read, I don't know he knows how to read. I think he's memorized a bunch of words. Like that's why, I mean, really, I could, I could tell you what the words said, couldn't tell you what they meant. So I, I'll tell you, I can prove to you, I'm, I'm not smart at all. I'm dumb. But here's what I'll tell you about the book of Proverbs. I, I know so many people say, when you read it, man, it just, it's so amazing. You just, you pull it out. It's so crazy. It's so great. It's so amazing. Here's what I have learned to do. Every wise word in the book of Proverbs is summed up in a person. If you flip over a few pages, just keep going until you start to see some letters in red. And here's what I'll tell you. Jesus, the person of Jesus, 
embodied the entire wisdom of God. All of it. You want to learn how to live a wis- uh, uh, you want to learn how to live a wise life. Here's what I'll tell you. You can go and read the book of Proverbs every single day. You can you can see how would this apply? How would this apply? How would this apply? How would this apply? Or you can go study the person of Jesus. And you can go say, what did Jesus do in this situation? Whenever there was all of these things, oh, whenever there was whenever there was an attack against him, what did he do? Well, he pulled up scripture and he read scripture to him. He quoted scripture to him. What did Jesus do whenever this person was was trying to distract him? He was on the way to go do something, and this lady pulled at him and distracted him. What did he do? He took time with the lady right there in front of him. Because why? Because God's got it in control. God knows what's going to happen. Why did he pause here? Why did he do this here? Just do what Jesus did. If you do what Jesus did, what you'll realize is you're going to start living what the proverb says. If you just flip over a few pages... You will see what the wisdom of God looks like in a person. And that person is Jesus. And here's what's so incredible. If you keep reading, you say, well, I, there's just no way I can be like Jesus. Okay, We're gonna, I'm going to give you another little Bible story, Bible uh, uh, tip here. Keep reading in the Bible, and what you'll realize is if you've been bought by that blood that doesn't lose its power, if you've been bought by this person of Jesus and you are saved, then... The Holy Spirit of God lives in you to empower you to live like Christ, which is embodying the wisdom of the Proverbs. So anytime somebody says, well, I can't live a wise life, then I'll just say, let's get saved then. That's what you need to do. Because if you accept Christ, then you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God, which is the full wisdom of God, to live out the wise words that are within this book. And it is a beautiful beautiful thing. I hope that uh, this gave you some type of survey through Proverbs. I don't know. Every time I get up here to talk in front of you guys, I get nervous because I'm like, I don't know if this makes any sense. I hope it does. Uh, I hope you were encouraged with the book of Proverbs today. Uh, Let's pray.